full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, And when he had come, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Peace be to you who reads. to St. John. Let us be attentive. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. At that time, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever stepped in first after the troubling of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool and the water is troubled. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, The man who healed me said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And as there was a crowd in the place, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well, sin no more, let nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you, Peace be to you who proclaims the good tidings and to all the people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Nothing that our Lord did in His lifetime, especially during those three years of His public ministry, were by chance. Everything, every word He spoke, every place He visited, every conversation that He had, and every healing that He performed was with intention and purpose. And there was always the the obvious to what was happening visibly to the people around them, but also there was depth of spiritual meaning to what was happening as well. And today, we witness once again another miracle of our Lord, and one that is very, very profound, as all of His miracles are. If you think about this man who was uh, an invalid, he was laying by a pool of water known as a sheep pool. And it was given this name, Sheep Pool, because it was close to the Sheep Gate, which was a place where the, uh, the, the animals that would be brought to sacrifice would come through a particular gate into the city. And this pool was there, and they would be washed prior to uh, being offered as a sacrifice. Well, this pool had five porches that were covered around, the, around it. And this was sort of a house for the blind and the, the maim and the, uh, the people who had all sorts of infirmities and were looking for healing, some of which were life-threatening. What's interesting, one of the things that's interesting about this is that this man had been laying there for 38 years. That's more years than what Jesus was even alive. So he had already been there for a time before God was even incarnate. And when you look at the setting of this particular place in Jerusalem, you can just visualize this large pool of water. 
and all of these bodies laying on pallets around it. Some people may be sitting, some people may be laying down, uh, some may have those standing or sitting beside them, waiting for this moment when the water would begin to stir and bubble up. And this was a sign that an angel had descended down into the water. The water didn't have healing properties in and of itself. Only when it stirred because of the the descent of an angel. And we don't know, it says, at a certain season, but we don't know how frequent that was. But what we do know is that the first person to go into the water would receive healing and be made well. And who among us would not want to be sitting by that pool? Even today, if we're not bearing uh, some some grave and life-threatening illness in our bodies right now that we know of. Who of us wouldn't like to be healed of some back pain or knee pain or hip pain or, or chronic thing that we have? We'd love to dip ourselves in that water and to be freed of it. Well, what we had around, that, that around this pool, though, were the people who had the most extreme health uh, situations and issues. And so in the midst of this pool, uh, and around it, rather, we have this, this booming uh, city where people are moving about and they're going to work and they're going home and we have priests that are in the temple across the way and they're going in and they're saying their prayers, uh, they're making sacrifices, they're reading the scripture, they're, they're preaching to the people. We have uh, merchants, we have all sorts of people that are walking around this area. And what truly, truly astonished Jesus was the fact that nobody in 38 years had ever offered to help this man into the pool. There was no one, he said. The man said, there was no man. There's been no man in 38 years ever to help me into the pool so that I could be healed. Jesus' trip to Jerusalem at that time was not because of the feast. He was visiting Jerusalem specifically to meet with this man. That was it. The disciples thought he was going for other reasons, and perhaps other followers of his thought he was going for different reasons, perhaps to the feast day. But our Lord went for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to meet a man whom he had created, who had befallen certain illness and was not able to move. He literally had to use his hands to try to pull himself, to drag himself to get into the water. And when he got as close to the water and maybe had an opportunity to touch it, and someone else got in before him... He had to use whatever strength he had to pull himself back to his pallet and to wait even longer. And our Lord questions him, has there been no one in all these years to come and to say, can I help you? Would you like for me to sit here with you? And the moment the water stirs, I can, along with you, try to get you into the water? He says, no man. There's never been one man who's ever offered that to me. And the priests that are across the street in the temple? No man. Anybody who thought that this good deed would be profitable to their own soul? There's not been one. He had been passed by and the people probably would look at the, at the city itself and say, here is our temple and here is our small marketplace and we have some wonderful merchants and over here we have lots of invalids who this thing happens and they'll try to get into the water as if it's just another landmark in the city. That's it. It's just a landmark. And yet these people had been sitting there and laying there in pain, in suffering, chronic illness, literally on their deathbeds, and yet no one came ever to help this man. What's interesting, I feel, about this whole parable is that we are, at one and the same time, an invalid 
sitting outside of the pool wanting to be healed of our passions. Not just our physical ailments, but those things that really, really hurt us and the ones that we just want to be so cleansed of more than anything. If, if someone could say, you could be healed from the passion of anger or you could be healed of your bum knee, what would you like? I want you to think as Orthodox Christians, okay? <laughs> you could be healed of the passion of gluttony or you could have your back pain gone forever. Which one would you like? You could be healed from the passion of lust. Or you could have your eyesight returned. Which would you like? It's interesting. I think we have to think about that. But at one and the same time, we are an individual who is laying right outside of that pool, wanting to be healed, and oftentimes feeling perhaps that there is no one to let us in. How will I ever be healed? How will I ever be cured of this which really plagues my soul? And at the same time, we're the people who are in the city and we're walking about in our busy lives and we're so consumed with all the things we have to do on a day-to-day basis that we not only don't recognize the other who's sitting over there as a person, but rather as a landmark. Oh, that's the corner where all the homeless people beg. That's a great landmark. Make a left there and you'll find chilies on the right. They don't see them as people. And... We don't see within our own self, as we're in our bustling, busy lives, the fact that we are one of those invalids that we need healing. And if we are never, ever going to get to the point where we are in touch with our own plagues inside of us, we'll never, ever, ever be in a place to see the suffering in another person. Because if we're avoiding it inside ourselves, we're certainly going to avoid it in other people. It makes us feel too uncomfortable. In order to face that and to see what's going on, I have to face something here. And if that's too threatening to me, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to ignore this. And the cost of that is never being healed. So when we think of this parable, we have to look at ourselves and each of the figures that are there. The healing, the pool, is there for us. It is Christ. The healing is a person. It's not a body of water. It's our, it's, our, it's our Eucharistic involvement with Christ. It is a participation in the mystery, but it's also a participation in the relationship with Christ. Where we're seeking Him out constantly to have revealed within us all of that which needs healing. And as that, becomes, as that comes to our conscious awareness, then we fall at the feet of our Lord and we say, Forgive me, Lord, I'm thine. Heal me and save me. And we realize the depth of that, of our woundedness. And we make that a continual journey inward and downward to be healed more and more and more so that we become much more sensitive, compassionate and loving of the people around us who are suffering in the same way, but we're too caught up to to see that. And this is a tragedy. This is the tragedy that we're not able to see that in other people, nor we're able to see it in ourselves. And this is why our Lord said, I desire mercy and compassion and love. I don't desire sacrifice. Look at what the Pharisee said. This man was healed. He picked up his pallet. He began to walk. It was on the Sabbath, and that was very intentional. Jesus did that on purpose because he wanted to point out how those individuals at the time, those who were worshiping on the Sabbath, held the Sabbath in idolatry. Because the first question they asked the man is, 
do, or the first thing they said is, do you know it's not lawful to carry your pallet? Because that's work, and we don't work on the Sabbath. He says, well, the man who healed me told me to pick up my pallet and walk. And what was the first question they asked? Well, the first, question, the first thing he said was, the man who healed me, took me told me to take up my pallet and walk. And which one did they focus on? They didn't say, well, who healed you? Because that's amazing and that's fantastic. We're very delighted about that. The first question they asked was, well, who told you to break the law? You see, because if someone taught you to break the law, don't ever listen to that person again. Because we're about keeping the Sabbath and keeping the law. That is about our faith. And so all of a sudden it's about religiosity. It's about keeping the law, doing what's right, not doing what's wrong. And, and, and this is something that consumes us, even as participants in the services and the mysteries of the church. Are we fasting because that's what we're told to do and it's the right thing? Are we praying because that's because it's something we're supposed to do? Are we coming to church and to the liturgy because it's the right thing to do? Because if it's for those reasons, then we're missing the boat entirely. We're walking in the footsteps of the Pharisees who are saying, these are all the do's, these are all the don'ts, this is what it means to be a Jew, this is what it means to be an Orthodox Christian, we've got to follow all of these guidelines, we've got to make sure things are in place, in order, done a certain way. It's Pharisaism. What Christ is talking about is a relationship with a person. So while he gave the world, the entire world, a gift of salvation, if you look at his public ministry and you read in the scriptures, the New Testament, how many times he looked at somebody in the eye and had a very deep and personal conversation with that individual. He was very concerned about the soul of every human being. And if he had the time and his public ministry allowed him, he probably would have had thousands and thousands and thousands of those one-on-one encounters with people whom he loved, who the rest of the world rejected. So if our faith is not a faith of a relationship, and that we do everything because of our deep, deep love for Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Orthodox or not. Doesn't matter how well you fast. I mean, even St. Paul says if you have the power to move mountains, if you have uh, the power to, to raise the dead, if you don't have love, people, you have absolutely nothing. Nothing. I raised five people from the dead and I told that mountain to go over there and I rearranged the stars and I foretold prophecies. And, and if Christ says, But do you really, really love? And I say, Well, I, I mean, it's, it's on my list, but he says, Doesn't matter doesn't matter. So Christ came to show compassion. He came to show mercy and love. And that's how he treated people. And this is what he's expecting from all of us. If you look at what he's expecting when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he does not ask about fasting and prostrations and prayer and going to the church. He asks about people who are sick, who are in the hospital, who are in the prisons, who are in your family. Your husband, your wife, your children, your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your brother, your sister. How were you with those people? Were you compassionate and merciful and loving and kind and gentle? Because love doesn't seek its own will. It doesn't insist on its own. It doesn't keep track of wrongs. It doesn't hold grudges. And this is the message. This is the message that Christ came to give us. Other than the good news of raising from the dead and conquering death by death. This is the message. We have to be very, very careful that we don't get caught up in a very justifiable way about what it means to be a Christian. 
And it's really challenging in orthodoxy because we do have a lot of these guidelines and a lot of these things out there. But those are never to be an end in of themselves. Those are all a means. I want to get to that point of loving unconditionally all people, including my enemy. Well, then here are some things that can help you along the way. Those are the things that we hold on to. A little fasting, prayer, coming to church, certainly participating in the mysteries. All of those things are things that are given to us by Christ to help us to grow into his likeness. Because the end is to love. It is what Christ came preaching at the beginning, what he preached at the end. It's the very thing he said at the, on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I love them just as much as the people over here who have been faithful to me for the last three years. No distinction. My love for these people, these disciples, is no greater than the people who just crucified me. That's an amazing thing. This is the message. This is where, we are, this is where we're striving this is why St. John of the Ladder puts that last rung as the, as the complement of all the other 29 rungs is love. So take this and take this beautiful, beautiful passage, this uh, parable that we have today, and you'll see yourself in the paralytic because we take in through all of the five senses representing the five porches, all of the, all the passions that we have. And we're sitting there and we're sick and we're in need. But also recognize in ourselves the people who are so busy in life that can't see what's going on there and they can't see what's going on inside of themselves. Because those who are well have no need of a physician. So let's be honest. We have a need for a physician. But we have to be very specific about that too. And we have to take that journey inward and downward. And Christ will help us do that. And all along the way, He will heal us step by step by step. And that will greatly increase our compassion, our love, and our mercy. And all of those things which we are to become in His image. To offer that to the world. Because the world is in deep need of healing. Amen.